Hey everybody, thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm a part of the core community at CMYK. We're a bunch of people in Billings, Montana, creating space and community where belief and doubt move forward together. I've been part of CMYK for a few years now, and I absolutely love how it's affected my life. It's changed how I approach spirituality. Um, It's just so refreshing. I love it. But before we jump in, I want you to know everything we do at CMYK depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you who are working with us to live a more beautiful way forward together. So if you love what CMYK is up to and want to be part of the community on a financial level, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to cmykchurch.com. Through your donation, we are able to continue our work and to give away more and more to those in need around us. You can easily give a one-time gift or choose to be a regular part of our creation through a monthly gift of any amount. To those who are giving, thank you. And with that, let's jump into this week's talk. Today on this Mother's Day uh, edition of The Gathering, we are just continuing on in a series that we've been in these last few weeks talking about the new normal and what life is potentially going to look like in the future. Now, we've been in this for a few weeks now, talking about this idea of new life, resurrection, and this concept and what's happening with this pandemic, COVID-19, and what the new normal possibly could be. And so up to this point, if you haven't been following along, uh, we've talked about this idea that to experience new life, it means that we got to be willing to set aside some things of old. We're not necessarily always able to bring along everything, but we've got to be willing to say to experience this new thing, I need to set this old thing down. Uh, we talked about this idea and belief in God that maybe some of us had an old idea or concept of God, that there's something new, true, beautiful that's happening right here in our midst. And we need to be willing to set aside this idea of God to experience something different good, true, and beautiful. And then last week, we talked the idea about the Bible and scriptures and how many of us can carry some uh, older archaic ideas of what the scriptures are, that potentially these things, these stories, these ideas, this ancient book was never meant to be those things, but there's actually something here for us today that's new and present, that's actually always been, but would be a new invitation for us to interact with these things in a new light. And tonight, I want to move forward in the conversation with this series, and I want to talk about the concept of community. Now, when it comes to COVID-19 and what's been happening, there's probably been nothing impacted as much as our concept and our idea, our experience of community, how we interact and relate with the people and world around us. And one of the biggest questions going into all of this, and particularly as things start to slowly open up, coming out of it, is what does community look like? What does relationships look like? Does it mean that the rest of our life is just spent six feet apart. And that's our idea and concept of community. We just have bigger tables in our homes. So nobody is really touching anybody and everybody is six feet apart. Do all restaurants and social interactions now need to have this six feet space? And that's this concept of community. What does it look like to do life in healthy community moving forward? And for me, there's a concept that's presented within the scriptures that I've always found uh, just really beautiful and powerful when it comes to a vision or a picture of what community could look like. It's found in the letter of First Corinthians, written by a guy named Paul to a church, a community of people in the city of Corinth about 2,000 years ago. And this is a letter that is really addressing a lot of community issues. I think if for whatever reason you're interested in what, what kind of things were communities wrestling about, and trying to deal with and have questions on and, you know, seeing tension around 2,000 years ago, this 
is a great read, this letter of 1 Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul chooses to kind of directly cast a vision, an idea and picture of what community could look like within this new resurrection kind of lifestyle. And I love the way that he says it. This is starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though member, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. He goes on, he says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And he gives these kind of pictures, these physical examples. He says, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. It says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on, those, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. And then he starts to kind of wrap it up with this. He says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now, if you've spent much time in this thing called church, potentially you have interacted with a text, a picture, an idea of this, the body of Christ and what that looks like. I think for many of us, we've kind of zoomed in on this concept of maybe specifically church. So what church you attend and what it looks like to be the body of Christ as a church. But I think when we look historically at what Paul's talking about and kind of the range of how he's addressing a lot of different things within this letter of 1 Corinthians, he's really talking about this concept of community, just doing life together with those around you and what community could look like. And for me, I find this picture and this image of a body as something that's incredibly, uh, I think, new and fresh and beautiful for how you and I potentially approach this idea of community in our lives. Because the truth is, most of us have a concept of community. We have understanding of how we are relating to those around us in the world. For many of us, community can revolve around places. So it's physical spaces that we go and we see interaction take place. So this could be your neighborhood. When you think about the concept of community, it's the space that you live and you exist. For others of us, community is found when we go to a certain restaurant, let's say, or a concert venue, remember those, and you go to these places and you experience something in the same space together. You feel this sense of community. I'm a part of something. That's why I went 
there. Maybe it's a sporting event. For others of us, it's a church. You go to this physical space and you experience community because of the physical space that you are inhabiting with other people. We are community together in this space. Now, this is one of those things that's obviously been disrupted in the the current state of things, but we can understand this is how many of us have potentially experienced community for physical places and spaces. For some of us, we understand community around this concept of principles, that there are ideas, beliefs, thoughts, principles about how we choose to go about our life. And there are those around us that see and agree with those principles. They agree with those beliefs and ideas. And because of that agreement, because we feel like we're all on the same page, we feel like we have community. They see this thing and they call it good and I call that thing good. And so now we have this common shared principle about how we view life. And so now we experience community together. They call things bad or evil or wrong or broken the same that I do. And so because of that, we experience community and vice versa. We don't experience community necessarily. We would label as not community when we are experiencing somebody that believes differently than us, thinks differently than us, likes things different than we do. That's a community separator for us because we found ourselves in community, finding people that look like us, think like us, talk like us, act like us, believe like us. And that's where we find this sense of community. This is also true when it comes to this concept of celebrity culture, which has really just blown up in the last few decades within our culture here in America. The idea that there would be this one person or one idea, that this picture of what it looks like to win in life. Look at what they're doing. Look how awesome they are. Look how great they are. Look how beautiful they are. Whatever it is that we put this person on a pedestal and then we all potentially start to surround ourselves and we feel a sense of community because we all agree. This thing is awesome. This thing rocks. This person is winning and is the best or the greatest, whatever it is. It's a principle that we all agree upon. And because of that agreement, we find a sense of community. But I think there's also a third space that we find community. And that just is in the space of what I would call persons or a person. In other words, these are the spaces of just like a family connection. It's just who that person is. And because of who that person is, to me, I find a sense of community. Or maybe it's not just a family tie. It's a history tie. I've been friends with this person ever since elementary school. You know, we we shared diapers together. I don't think you should ever share diapers, but let's say you did. You have this experience with somebody that's just years and years and years and years and years in the making. And it's not necessarily because you agree with them. This is a lot of family. It's not because you agree with them everything that's happening within your family. And it's not even because you're in the same physical space together that you would call yourself community. It's just because of who that person is. This is my family. This is one of my oldest, longest friends, whatever it is, that that because of who that person is, you find a sense of community with them. Now, here's what I find uh, really fascinating. This letter in 1 Corinthians and what Paul is talking about and everything that we just read about this concept of community has really nothing to do with any of those things. Paul is not talking about the concept of places at all. In fact, the church and this idea of faith communities is really going through a transition where it no longer revolves around a set place. It's not about a temple anymore, but it was communities meeting in homes, breaking bread, sharing a meal together. And it was because of that that they were finding this sense of community. It wasn't because of a special place that people were going. This community was found in all different facets and pockets and areas of life. 
I find it interesting that within this letter and what Paul is talking about in community, it, it really has nothing to do, if we look at what Paul is actually saying, with a shared common principle and getting everybody to see the world the same way. I mean, it's, it's pretty apparent in what Paul is talking about that he's saying there are different people that are bringing different viewpoints and different thoughts and ideas to this thing called the body. And it's what's making this thing the body. There's an eye, there's a hand, there's a foot. All of these things are bringing unique perspectives, unique abilities and unique things to the body. And it's because of this diversity, not because everybody's seeing the same thing or bringing the same thing, but because of diversity of principles, diversity of approach to life, diversity of a viewpoint in the world that we begin to see this body or this community come to be. So it's not about shared principles is what Paul is talking about here in this letter. And then I find it interesting that Paul is not talking about just shared persons. In other words, we all rally around this, you know, family history, because what does he say? He says, this is something that's for Jews and for Greeks, for slaves and for free people. In other words, everybody in every facet of life this is not just about family ties. This is not just about history ties. This is not just about economic ties. This is seeing everybody from all walks of life being able to be a part of this thing called community. This new concept, a new idea that is really being wrestled through in a lot of ways in the New Testament and in this letter within 1 Corinthians. So Paul, the reason I find this statement of what Paul is talking about with community so fascinating is because where we have these common things for how we find community, places, principles, and persons, the people around us in these connections, Paul is really introducing something different, something unique for how we're to experience community potentially in our life. Now, before we jump into it, though, I want to say really quickly, this is not to say that these three things, these places, principles, and persons, it's not a bad thing. It's not that we avoid these things or get rid of these things, but really what's happening under the surface with this letter is Paul is introducing a new approach, something to bring different into how you experience community. And I believe the same would be true for you. That as we look at a new normal for how we approach community, we can't wait to get back to certain places. We can't wait potentially to connect with certain people that we have, you know, same principle ideas. And we can't wait to see certain people that we haven't seen for a long time. That's a good thing. But in the midst of that, potentially there's a new normal for how we go about it and that we find it within this letter in 1 Corinthians. And for me, the way that I would call what Paul is talking about is in this concept of a practice. Now, practice is something that I think all of us have interacted on one level or another at different times in our life. Many of us grew up practicing an instrument that you had to sit down and play the piano for an hour or play that song 10 times. For me, I grew up and I had to practice the cello. There was a time when I practiced the piano, times when I've practiced guitar. And the interesting thing about practice is at the end of that practice is always a reason. In other words, you're practicing for something specific, typically. I've got a recital coming up. I have a concert coming up. And so I want to make sure to practice so that I'm prepared and I don't look like a fool for everybody. Or maybe for you, it was a, pra a practice of a school sport or you know basketball, soccer, whatever it was, that you chose to engage in this thing. And you're practicing because you know the big game is coming up. And even though the big game is you know on a Saturday morning with 10 other parents and there's just the juice box prize at the end of the game. It was still a big deal as a kid, right? You're getting ready for the big game. And that's why you practice because you want to see that success with the game. So you're practicing to see this kind of outcome. You hope to perform well in front of everybody. And that's how most of us have experienced practice in our life. 
that you're going towards an end goal. But there's a certain group of friends that I've had in my life over the last few years that I got to say, I've come to respect more than a lot of people. And it's these friends that have chosen to take on this idea of practice. And it's not specifically about a performance. It's not specifically about this end goal that I'm going to get and I'm going to pass the test. I'm going to perform in everybody. I'm going to win the grade, whatever it is. It's simply this belief that to engage in this practice is going to help better their lives. And so whether it's musician friends of mine, that they, they don't have a concert coming up. They're not trying to do anything special or specific. They're just choosing to pick up their instrument and continue to practice and hone that skill. They believe that there's something good for them and potentially something good for the world if they continue to practice at what's in front of them. Artists that I know that continue to practice their art. And it's not because they have a big gallery showing coming up that they want to make sure everything is just the way that it should be. It's simply because they believe there's something good, true, and beautiful for them as they continue to engage in this practice. People that I know that are continuing to grow in their skill sets and hobbies, these kinds of things. Again, not for an end goal, not for a performance, but simply for the sake of what it instills and grows in them. It's that kind of practice that I find incredibly respectable and beautiful in life. Because I haven't seen that in my life, honestly. Like I played cello all throughout high school and the minute my last cello orchestra concert was done in high school, I set my cello in the corner and that's where it sat and collected dust for year after year after year after year. Because I was done. I didn't have another performance to do. I didn't have something to prepare for. It was just, I was done. Why would I pick that up and practice it? And I've thought before, okay, that was almost, wait for it, old man alert, almost 20 years ago that I set my cello down and I've thought, what if I had continued to practice it? I'm not talking about like, you know, 12 hours a day or four hours a day or even an hour a day necessarily. But I had this practice of continuing to pick this thing up, believing that, again, I don't have a concert to prepare for, but there's something good that's going to happen in and with me and potentially for those around me if I just continue to practice this, continue to pick it up and engage it. Where would I be after 20 years of just practicing this instrument? What would be different in Matt Blakesley? And potentially some of you have had the same thought with maybe instruments or hobbies or skill sets that you picked up at one point, but potentially because there wasn't a performance, there wasn't some sort of test, we set it down. And typically the reason we set it down is not because we want to, it's simply because other things that do have deadlines, that do have tests, that do feel like have a performance level to them, They crowd out this ability to practice what we want to practice, what we potentially believe could be good for us. This is the concept and idea I believe that Paul is referencing and pointing to when it comes to community. The community is a practice. It's something you choose to pick up for your life. And it's not because there's this end goal. It's not because there's a performance. It's not because there's a test. But you would choose to practice it because you believe there's something good for you there. And I think there's something potentially in all of us that longs for some sort of healthy, relational, community connection in our lives. It's just innate in our humanity. And for many of us, we don't experience this healthy community, this picture of what Paul is talking about, I believe, because just like a cello and just like other elements of practice, we allow different deadlines and performance things to crowd out this practice of what it looks like to engage in this 1 Corinthians style of 
community. So what does this practice involve? How would we find ourselves practicing this thing over and over and over again to see something beautiful happen in our lives? I think Paul highlights three quick things. First and foremost, Paul's talking about a specific practice where everyone plays a part. He's talking about this idea that the body is made up of so many different pieces and parts that look differently, think differently, act differently, bring different things to the body. And it's significant and important to note that everybody that's a part of this body has a part to play within the body. In other words, this is a direct affront to the celebrity and hierarchy culture that we live in. This idea that there are certain people that are winning more than others and that our role, because I don't have as many followers, I don't have as much significance, I'm not as great as that, I'm not as good looking as that, I don't have it all together like they do, that my role is not to be a part of this thing, but to simply be a spectator of this thing. I'm just here to watch the people do what they do and to celebrate them as they do it. I'm just here to potentially consume the things that these people are creating because they're the creators. They're the ones that are doing something that's really, really awesome. And I could never do that. I could never be a part of that. So now it's just my job to go and make money so that I can purchase and I can pay for and I can consume whatever it is that's being created. It's a consumer culture. It's a celebrity culture. It's a hierarchy where many of us look at our own lives and we think about this concept of community. We think about the lives and the relationships around us and we have this gut feeling that says, I don't have much to offer here. I should just sit in the background. Don't make a ruckus. Don't be a big deal. Just let the people that want the microphone to have the microphone. I'm just going to sit over here and hope that no one notices me. And what Paul is talking about is this practice of community where everyone plays a part. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what your skill set, no matter what your personality type, no matter what your belief system or vantage point or viewpoint in the world that you believe fundamentally that you have something to offer the people in that room, the people in that community, and that your presence and your voice and your life matters. Now, this is something we talk about a lot. And and the reason I, I just, I continually need to bring it up is because the strongest opponent to this thing actually happening is you. Because for many of us, You've heard me talking about this. You even potentially want to believe this, but you have the propensity and I have the propensity to enter into rooms and spaces and relationships, to enter into community environments and to find myself just sitting in the back seat working to get through it. And rather than practicing this element of community, I believe that it's better for me to be distracted by this thing that has a deadline, this thing that I need to worry about, this thing that I need to be anxious about and I need to work on, work on, whatever it is, compared to, no, there's people here in this space and in this room and I have something to offer them. It doesn't mean that you have the perfect talk or the perfect you know, thing prepared. It doesn't mean that you, hey, everybody, let me sing this song for you and you try to get everybody's attention. No, it's this fundamental belief about who you are as you interact with the people around you. It's good that I'm here. It's good that I'm looking these people in the eye and that I'm working to engage them and to bring my full self to this conversation, to fully be here because I have something to offer. You and I are the biggest proponent of, of, opponent, excuse me, of this happening 
because we continually find ourselves checking out of the room, checking out of the relationship, checking out of the community that we're with because we don't believe we have anything to offer and we have other more important things to do. And Paul would say, no, no, no. There's this beautiful vision and picture of what community can and should be. It's this body where everybody, every part, independent of the part, independent of what they bring to the table, sees that they matter and that there's value and significance for them being there. And they enter the room like that. It's a practice for our lives that we find ourselves in that space, whether it's at our home, at our job, in our neighborhood, interacting with friends or interacting with family. I have something to bring here. It's a practice we bring to community. The second thing Paul mentions and he talks about is this practice of a community where everyone elevates the bottom. Now, this is not a weird yoga pose, okay? <laughs> now, everyone elevate your bottom. Sorry, bad yoga joke. Uh, that's not what I'm saying at all. And I don't think that's what Paul is talking about at all either. But Paul has this incredibly beautiful language that's talking about this idea, if you remember, that there are certain parts of the body, certain parts of community, people within community, that are not naturally celebrated, that are not naturally honored and seen. And Paul talks about this practice within community to continually work to see and elevate those stories and those people who would traditionally be on the bottom. I love it. He says those presentable parts, those parts that everybody's already celebrating, saying, look how great they are. Look how awesome they are. He speaks so well. He's, you know, does everything great, whatever. She's incredible, whatever it is. They don't need any more recognition, Paul says. They're getting just enough. In fact, the work of this community, the practice of this community is to see, to work to see somebody that's on the bottom that nobody's naturally going to talk about. Nobody's naturally going to celebrate who they are and the work that they're doing, what they're contributing to the community. And so there's this practice within community to work to see, hear, and embrace, and then elevate people that are not naturally celebrated. We have this thing called Mother's Day where we work to elevate and celebrate mothers. It's a good thing. But we live in a culture and we live in communities that traditionally do not elevate and celebrate the work of a mom on a regular day-to-day -day basis. That regularly, you wake up early, you hustle all day, you're exhausted, and then, for whatever reason, you turn on the TV and nobody is celebrating or you interact with other people and nobody seems to celebrate the work, the effort, the energy that you are bringing to the world around you. You are bringing life and beauty to the world around you. And that there would be this practice of community, people in your life that work to see and hear what you're doing and go, that's incredible, that matters, and you feel celebrated and elevated because of it. We don't, we live in a culture, we don't need to celebrate a CEO that's pulling in millions of dollars. We don't need to celebrate somebody who's just crushing it in business. We don't need to do that. They get enough praise and applause all they want. We must find somebody that is in this space that we naturally don't hear their story. We don't understand where they're coming from and what's going on. And we work to hear them so that we can elevate them and celebrate them because they are, they are significant and valuable to this thing called community and the body. This is a teacher that just shows up day after day after day, never wins the Golden Apple Award, never is really celebrated. But the work that you continually do, we work to hear it, to see it, and to celebrate it. This is the guy who mows lawns for a living. 
not the most you know prestigious thing ever in the world, but there would be community around him that is celebrating who he is, what he's bringing to the table. And it's not because he's got some master plan for a lawn mowing empire. Like we want to celebrate that entrepreneurial spirit typically, but we just set that aside and say, it doesn't matter what the future holds. What, what matters is that you're here, that you have a story and it's significant. It's celebrating the couple who continue to have hard conversations and make difficult decisions for their relationship and for their kids. They continue to walk through this hard thing and whatever the decisions are, that they do that for the sake of themselves and the kids, that we work to hear that story. We don't necessarily celebrate those hard conversations and the hard work of being present, honest, and open with each other always. We celebrate the people that are just crushing it on every level. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We, we don't need to celebrate the people that are already on a platform and already celebrated. There's a practice in community that we work to see and hear those that are naturally on the bottom. And we work to elevate them and their story. Now, this isn't just having to do with someone's job or what they do throughout the day. I think this is also something that has to do with how you might disagree with certain people in your life and within community. Because what I know is naturally, if I connect with somebody because I agree with them, I believe like them, that there's this natural affinity and propensity for me to just elevate who they are. This guy's awesome. Why? Because I agree with everything that he says and that we just live our lives in that way. And I believe that what Paul is hinting at and talking about, because it's this body, it's this very diverse thing that's happening within community, that the work is also to elevate the bottom of how I would potentially place some people and their stories and their beliefs and their ideas, people that I might disagree with and that I work to hear and elevate their voice in my life, that they can have influence and impact because this is community and I need you to be a part of my life. I need your voice and story to be a part of my life. So I work to elevate even those I disagree with for the sake of experiencing this practice, this thing that actually does something good, true and beautiful for me and for the world around It's a practice where everyone plays a part and everyone elevates the bottom. And then the third thing Paul, I think, is talking about here, it's a practice where everyone is cared for. I just want to read that that ending phrase and statement that Paul is making in this section one more time because I think it's an incredibly powerful picture that most of us have probably dreamed about on some level. But Paul is talking about a practice where this is actually seen. He says, but God has so composed the body, this thing called community, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. So we're working towards unity as we elevate the bottom. And he says, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And here's the picture that I think is so powerful. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It's a picture of community where if one person is suffering, everyone feels it. And if one person is honored, everyone is celebrating what's happening because we're all in this together. I think there's been some pictures of that in the midst of quarantine and this pandemic. And there's, you know, our hearts have been stirred at different points to watch people kind of rally around and suffer together on some levels and to celebrate and honor people together on some levels. But Paul is talking about this practice 
of working to see that I have a part to play, a practice where I continue to elevate those on the bottom. And it's in that work that we actually find a connection with one another, that if someone is suffering and in pain, that I actually feel it because I'm a part of it with them. This isn't just something I get to set aside and say, sorry, bud, and pat him on the head and then move on. But I actually feel it and I work to respond to it in an appropriate way. And if someone is celebrating something and something's awesome, rather than getting jealous or rather than, you know, feeling like, well, that's not that great. That's not awesome. And trying to belittle it. I actually, because I'm a part of it, because I'm working to elevate, I find myself in this place where I actually have more celebration, more joy, more life and beauty to experience because I get to celebrate with the community around me. It's an incredible picture. But this is never going to come and this is never going to be able to happen if you and I aren't able to find ourselves in a place where I believe, where you believe you have a part to play, where we are working to elevate the stories on the bottom and we find those people and that we work to actually lean into, okay, what's, what, what are they feeling? What are they experiencing? And to be a part of that with them and to respond appropriately to it. Now, I just want to close tonight with this. To do this, again, it's an incredibly stirring and beautiful picture. And we've seen moments of it with this pandemic. But for many of us, it just feels like a whole lot of work to be somebody that feels like I got to play a part in that and in that and in that and in that because we live in a connected culture where there's so many things going on and we can be aware of so many different organizations and peoples and communities and groups, these kinds of things. So we can just feel exhausted, which is why some of us just retreat to being spectators and, and watching from the sidelines rather than actually feeling like we have a part to play. But I want to highlight something that we talked about a couple months ago. And, and if you weren't a part of it, that's okay. Because I'll a quick refresher. The, Joseph Myers wrote a book called The Search to Belong. And he talked about these different spaces that we belong within the context of community. He talked about this idea that there's public spaces that we find belonging, social spaces we find belonging, community, personal spaces, and intimate spaces that we find community and belonging. And the power of what was talked about in that book and and all the work that he's done along with others is to understand that these different spaces represent different kind of varied interactions with people. So in a public space like a sports arena, you find belonging because everybody's a Green Bay Packers fan. And so because of that, you find belonging. But it's a public space. And so you can have lots and lots of people in that public space, but still find a sense of belonging and community. That's good. That's fine. And then you move into social spaces and social spaces might be your office where you know a lot of people's names. You have some interactions. You understand one or two things about certain people. You can point those out. But again, in that in that context, you can have lots of people, but it's still not moving down the line like we see into personal relationships, personal community and belonging, where it's even less people. But in that space, you now understand the details about their life. You understand some history about where they are and where they come from and those kinds of things, what they believe. All of that begins to happen in personal space. And then intimate space is even smaller, even a smaller group of people. It's not public space like a football stadium. It's, you know, one, two, three, four people maybe that you are completely vulnerable and intimate with and they know you intimately. Every detail And you know them and you have this space and community and relationship. 
The reason I want to bring that up is because when we talk about this practice of community, this thing that we just practice in our lives of seeing uh, that we have something to contribute and bring to the table, this practice of elevating stories on the bottom and this practice of caring for each other. I believe that it's found most potently and importantly in those final two spaces of personal space and intimate space. And so the question tonight when it comes to this practice of community, this new way to go about community, is how are you doing at practicing these things that Paul is talking about with your personal relationships, your personal community, those people that you have a lot of connections with. It's not hundreds of people. It might be a dozen people. It might be 20 people. Whatever that level is, it's not a ton. It's a smaller group of people. How are you doing in interacting and practicing this sense of community there? How are you doing at practicing the sense of community with those one or two intimate relationships around you? And the reason I bring that up is because, again, this is practice. And many times when it comes to our family relationships, our intimate relationships and personal relationships, those are the first places that we potentially stop practicing because we don't feel a deadline. We don't feel a sense of urgency to get this ready or to get this done and to pass a test. No, we just find ourselves distracted by all these other deadlines and things. And so what it looks like for me is the potential for me to miss out on playing a part when I'm home with my kids and my wife, playing a part in my family to see that I actually have something to contribute and bring to the table in the room in that moment compared to being distracted by my phone or being distracted by the work or things that I just got to do because they matter so much compared to, no, I'm here, I'm present in this space and these are my people. This is community for me to practice that I have a part to play in the life of my kid. I have a part to play in the in the life of my wife. I don't know why that was so hard. In the life of my wife. I kept wanting to say in the wife of my life, but I guess that's a true statement too. Love you, Kate. Thanks Anyways, again for tuning in. That we find ourselves always, in this space where we're willing we to continually you, please practice reach out on social media things. or through our website The same will be true when it comes to elevating also, while the stories there, from the bottom. You can find again, out more about who I we are, don't do where we're well headed, and how time. you can get plugged into at working to hear the stories of the people that are intimately around me. Because I'm so busy with deadlines and I got to perform and do this and make this happen compared to how was your day? What was going on? And how do I celebrate what's happening in your life? How do I celebrate the things that might seem minuscule and small because they weren't million dollar deals? It was you did this thing for that person and it's beautiful and it's awesome and that we work to celebrate that because I don't need to celebrate the million dollar deals. I don't need to celebrate whatever it is over here that our culture is naturally elevating. I need to work to elevate the stories of the people that are intimately and personally involved in my life in this small community and group. And then I work to actually feel what is happening, to feel what they're feeling not just invite them to get over it and move on or not just work for me to get over it, have the conversation just so I can move on, but to actually sit in space with people and feel what they're feeling. Again, this is not on a public space. It's not in a social space, but in those personal and intimate relationships. How are you doing in actually practicing this work of community? Because all of you, all of you, have a part to play in seeing this happen. It's just a choice to actually practice it 
rather than be somebody that gets distracted by all the other things that we continue to say, okay, this is a practice of my life. And just like my cello, if I've been practicing for 20 years, where would I be to practice this element of community to see where relationships are and the beauty and life and joy that it brings in me and in the world around because this is a continual practice for who I am? This is what Paul is talking about, I believe, and this is what I find to be so profound and beautiful. Does community exist around places? Yes. Does community exist around principles? Yes. Does community exist around persons? Yes. But I believe community is most potent and beautiful when we can reflect on and see what Paul is inviting us into, a practice for how we interact with the people around us in a way to find a more beautiful way forward together.